um, I, I wouldn't consider him uh, a historian. He's more of an opinion and a, he, he's not a history expert. As, as Walter said, he, it shows a, a great ignorance of, of the history and both recent and, and near and more midterm on Noam Chomsky's part. He, he should just be disregarded. Thanks. And uh, we were joined by Helian. But Chris, to you first. Hey, thanks, Walter. Hey, Yehuda, uh, all sorts. Hey, uh, uh, last night there was a kind of a lengthy conversation about uh, using drones to counter uh, air defenses. So that kind of got me thinking. You don't really hear about that, but uh, that capability does exist. Um, uh, for example, the Israeli uh, air defense industries has a, their system is called uh, a Harpy or Harpy 2 or Harpy NG. And uh, it has a thousand kilometer capability. It's actually a suicide drone. Uh, thousand kilometer capability range with uh, a six hour border time. It carries a pretty extensive warhead and uh, the, the, the NG version that have uh, smaller suicide drone submunitions that can be launched uh, from under the wings. So, uh, capability is out there. Uh, you would think that maybe uh, U.S. defense uh, would have uh, something like that under development in the pipeline to be available. Um, you know, keep in mind that the, the Harpy drone itself is low radar cross-section and almost like stealth-like capabilities. So with the advent of the way the Russians have stepped on their deck with, <laughs> with Israel, I just wonder if Israel can make some of those available to hit some of them to loosen up the air defenses a little bit uh, so uh, Ukraine can get in the sky and maybe do more damage. Chris, that's a great point. I mean, seed capability utilizing drones. I mean, I will say that <laughs> Uh, the, the Turkish, the TB2, have been very effective even prior to the, the Russian invasion to Ukraine of destroying Russian air defense assets, both in Libya, Syria, and Azerbaijan. And, you know, Azerbaijan did really well against Armenia. Uh, but that's, that, that is a perfect example, right? I mean, the Harpy is a perfect example. It's specifically designed, as you said, the seed capability of, of targeting enemy radar systems that are specifically tailored for air defense. Um, so, I mean, that those are capabilities that exist. I, it would be interesting to see if the Israelis are willing to to give such capabilities to the Ukrainians. They have been very, 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 very hesitant to giving any notion of offensive weaponry, uh, even defensive weaponry, to the Ukrainians uh, uh, because of their own foreign policy objectives. But, I mean, Lavrov kind of shooting himself in the foot, accusing Israel of supporting neo-Nazis is probably not a really smart thing to do. Um, it would be interesting. There could be some pressure in the international community for that. Uh, but regardless, uh, uh, there are other types of drones that are very effective at doing those types of things. Um, it would be interesting to see if, if those capabilities would reach to the Ukrainians without relying solely on the Harpy. Uh, but that would be a perfect asset to allow the Ukrainians to degrade Russian air defense assets and then give them more ability to fly uh, aircraft uh, uh, freely into Ukraine. But however, we do have to acknowledge that the Ukrainians have shown that they're very capable of, with fixed and rotary wings to operate in contested airspace. I mean... The, the, the videos we saw from Belograd of the helicopters hitting those oil depots uh, last month is a perfect example, right? And Belograd is deep 
within Russian air defensive capabilities in Russian territory. So, um, yeah, no, but those are excellent points. That would be something I think we all have to look for. You know, I was kind of wondering about that um, that that high mission that went in there and hit the wall depot. How did they not see him coming? I mean, I get it; they were low to the ground, but uh, I, I wonder if there was some kind of uh, suppression already ongoing, some kind of jamming to the radar sets uh, to where they couldn't see me. Oh, they just suck. The Russians just yeah, suck. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 and, I, and, I, and I say that lifeheartedly, but I kind of joke when Yehuda asked me, like, hey, can you give me an update? My, 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 I, I DM'd him back and I said, yeah, here's your update. Russia sucks. End of story. I mean, seriously, I'm just like, it, it's just that simple. I mean, in the end of the day, it, it, sometimes the simplest answer is the best way. And if one thing this war has shown is Russia's complete and utter incompetence as a modern military force, full stop. And if they can't do basic infantry tactics, do we really expect them to be able to integrate air defense robustly? Probably not. And again, I, there's probably a million of reasons. We might not know until for the next 20, 10, 20, 40, 50 years. Uh, but in the end of the day, a lot of it is probably also just due to pure and utter incompetency of the Russian military. Right. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I just wanted to give that update. That way that information's out there. I mean, uh, that capability does exist. Somebody's just got to give it to them, you know. So it'd be it'd be real handy once Ukraine goes on the counteroffensive, you know, to take that out and then you can maybe somehow bring in some close air support with your helicopters and stuff, and not have to worry about S three hundred, S four hundred bringing them down. So okay, that's all I got. Thanks, guys. Hey, I think I'm next. So um, I just wanted. Not, not to put too fine a point on it, but I don't know where Chomsky is coming from. And I want to say that when it comes to Ukraine, I can't tell you how united the United States is in support of Ukraine. Even my father, who voted for Trump and is a Fox News. Uh, uh, anyway, um, you know, he and I are completely in line with each other on Ukraine. Um, and I think that, you know, like the entire world is, the United States is, and this has united people of different political stripes by more than anything ever, and Slava Ukraini, that's all. All right, Slava, thank you. Uh, back to you, Ryan, and WTF. Uh, I had a question for all source. Um, one, did you mention, or do you know anything more about the fuel depot that, uh, caught fire today. I originally thought it may be in Russia, but after looking at some more recent uh, Twitter posts, it seems that it may have been in a suburb of Donetsk. Um, and follow-up question on that, um, is there any noticeable impact that all of these spontaneous fuel depot combustions is having on uh, Russian mobility and their uh, war effort in general. I mean, I know it's it's having some tangible detriment to their uh, operations, but I didn't know if maybe we're seeing any vehicles stranded. No, that's Ryan. That's a good question. Specifically, the fuel depot in Donetsk. I, I just saw that. You know, it, that was caught on fire. You know, more than likely got hit by the Ukrainians. But, I mean, seriously, that's probably the most likely explanation. 
Um, but I don't have any specific confirmation, to be honest. Uh, just whatever was reported on open source, specifically that those, those oil depots were, were uh, caught on fire. Um, the the effects, right? So I, I think we have seen. We had. Let me rephrase this. We haven't seen as much abandoned vehicles as we did in the northern front at the start of this war. That doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. However, how I would how I would answer your question, Ryan, is: Is it having an effect? So. These types of operations, right? What the what, what we're talking about, right? Targeting fuel depots, right? In in what we would consider Russia's, if you're looking at a military terms, right? You divide a map. I've talked this in the before, before, right? This is what we would consider basically a consolidation area or a support area, right? Basically, this these are areas where you generate combat power and then enable operations through logistics and sustainment. Any attacks that the Ukrainians conduct in those areas is to disrupt. Russia's main effort, which is the offensive specifically looks like an Izum. So in, in, in essence, it is a supporting effort, right? You, you, you dis, in, in military terms, when you're talking about military planning and doctrine, the tactical purpose of disrupt, it's a tactical term, it's a specific, it has its own dis, d- definition, always is a supporting effort. It cannot be your main effort. So where are we seeing it, right? Well, anything you do to disrupt the enemy's main effort and then your defense, right, where we're seeing the impact of is, is that the Russians are not able to seize territory in the Donbass. So it's a holistic approach, right? It is, you know, their defensive position in the Donbass, local counterattacks that they see opportunities that they try to seize villages around Izum or other areas, you know, Kharkiv and their offensive there. All that, right, plus destroying these oil depots wherever, or any logistics or sustainment operations that they have. It's, it, it is to enable the overall strategic objective of Ukraine is to hold, is to hold the Donbass and then eventually kick Russia out of Ukrainian territory. How we're seeing it's in, uh, impactful and how it's having effects is because Russia just is not seizing territory whatsoever or very minimal, not where they need to be specifically this far into the offensive into the Donbass. So it, 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 it has an impact and of the grand scheme of thing is very probably not the main reason why, obviously, but even if it's a 10%, hey, that's that's something, right? I mean, that's important overall because if you have battalion tactical groups that are undermanned, under-equipped, and not well-maintained, if you manage to disrupt their logistics ability, then that combat effectiveness inherently is going to go down. And I, and I would like to, I would highlight to everybody the Daily Beast and other sources, the Daily Beast had a specific article, but it was widely reported across Twitter about South Ossetian soldiers, so soldiers in South Ossetia who, who basically said, screw this, we're done, we're out of here. And they went back to South Ossetia. And in South Ossetia, like in the actual country, talking to South Ossetian leadership, which are pro-Russian, the South Ossetian soldiers basically said that Russian tr- soldiers are ill-disciplined, their leadership is nowhere to be found, they're absolutely terrible in the leadership, the, their equipment, the Russian equipment does not work, they were sent in suicide missions. They were given poor planning. They didn't know how to operate. And so, again, these were South Ossetian soldiers in South Ossetia talking to South Ossetian leaders. Like, this wasn't like a Russian soldier that was captured in Ukraine. And you could be like, oh, he was captured. And let's just deny what he's saying. No, no, no. This was like in a pro-Russian area. And even those soldiers said that this military offensive is absolutely terrible. And when they asked him, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think the Russians are going to lose? Or the one South Ossetian soldier said, yes, I think they're going to lose this war. How did they get there? It's because everything the Ukrainians are doing to include 
destroying those oil depots. Again, it's probably not the main reason, but it is a reason. Yeah, I, I didn't think blowing up a few fuel tanks was going to win the war, uh, but I just didn't know if, if there was a, a tangible uh, impact that we were seeing as far as them having stranded equipment in places. They maybe stuff they were trying to relocate from from the north over back east or south. There, there has been some videos of uh, abandoned Russian equipment. But not to the level of what we were that we saw at the beginning of this war. Uh, there is some, but not not a- as high. Thank you very much. Hey Walter, I, I'm going to have to kind of jump out for a second, and then I'll, I could try jumping on later. I don't know if there's a speaker here that specifically has a question for me before I. Yeah, I had one for you. Yeah, go ahead. Don't worry. Yeah, hey, uh, all source. Thanks. I, I'll try not to take up too much too much of your time. Um, you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing on the pull out of Mariupol, right? As in the Russian forces pulling out of Mariupol, is that specific what you're referring to? Yes, but like not a complete pull out, but just a reduction in force. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, they must be like okay with that. They're pulling out. Uh, they're obviously supporting the lines, um, and then with this attack on the Azov. Uh, steel factory it seems a little interesting to me it seems like they're a little weak if they're doing that and then the second thing I wanted to uh, hear your opinion on was uh, that latest uh, attack on that uh, Dnipro bridge so uh, I, I think I think there was some probably political pressure to seize that steel plant because I think it's just tied to May 9th honestly um, I think that, that way they can just have a win that they can claim, right? Which is seizing Mariupol. Uh, obviously, a lot of those Russian forces are probably going to get sent to the to the southern front of the Donbass area, or maybe even to Zaporizhia. It'd be interesting to see if we can get confirmation. But those guys that are in Mariupol they need a lot of time to rest and refit and reequip. They're probably not going to get it. So, but Agreed. those guys have been hundred. I mean, they have been severely, you know, degraded as a combat strength. Um, so, w- I think the tangible results of Mariupol falling for the Russians is probably not as much because a lot of that combat power they used to try to seize that city, they suffered significant amount of casualties and they're just going to keep on you know, suffering casualties after casualties after casualties after casualties. One thing I think we just cannot forget that I think is very important is just because Mariupol falls does not mean it's a hundred percent secure. I mean, we haven't seen it recently, but I think two weeks ago, when it was just the plant or a little bit more like there was that pocket in the, in the Eastern part of Mariupol in the North and then the, and then the steel factory in the South, we had video footage of Ukrainian soldiers in the Western part, you know, popping up with a, a, a an anti-tank uh, rocket firing it against a BTR and then bolting. Right. That is something that I think is, 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 is something we cannot forget. We just don't know. If there's still, you know, people in Mariupol, so Ukrainian soldiers in Mariupol that are just laying low, waiting for opportunities to strike, uh, because we saw Mikolaev, uh, you know, partisan warfare insurgency Mikolaev, and we also saw it in, in Kherson. It might be harder in Mariupol. I'm not denying it, but it's 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 not out of the realm of possibilities that they still do that. So they're always going to have to have forces. But those forces in Mariupol from the Russians being recommitted to other fronts is probably not going to have that much of a difference in the grand strategic thing, uh, uh, area. Uh, from the Ipiro side, 
So I know they, 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 you know, I did see that report that they struck the bridge. I mean, in the end of the day, if one thing I'm never going to doubt is the ability of the Ukrainians to conduct, you know, resupply operations. They've shown that they're very good at it. Um, you know, maybe it slows them down. Maybe they have to take a longer route. But I mean, the the amount of targeting the Russians would have to do to like seriously, completely deny Ukraine's ability to resupply their forces in the Donbass is going to be significantly more than what they're doing now. I think these are just target of opportunities. But what we've seen that the Russians do not have really good collection ability. We've we said that you know uh, a lot in this space, right? The, the right, Russians, right. The, the collection is terrible. They don't have really good effects with targeting. And so in the grand scheme of thing, it's probably a nuisance for the Ukrainians. But in the grand scheme of thing, it's probably not going to really hinder their ability to support the JFO and the Donbass. Yeah. So the main point I was making about the Mariupol offensive um, was like they're reducing their forces. I don't know if the TikTok brigade, uh, you know, got the fuck out. Uh, Excuse my French. Um, But I mean... Is they seem pretty confident in holding Mariupol. Again, they're attacking the Azov uh, facility, uh, but you know it's quite a quite a large uh, space to reduce your forces down that low to defend the Donbas. Um, you know the the gains that are being made in Kharkiv right now. Um, you know, got to keep that momentum going, but. Um, it seems like they're weakening their southern defenses right now by focusing on this thing for their whatever. I don't, I don't buy into the May ninth uh, thing, but whatever. If they want to do that, they're stupid. Um, I just, I just think they're they're weakening their their foothold in the uh, south uh, to support the the northeast. Uh, who, when you're saying like, are you saying that the, the the Ukrainians are sacrificing the South to support the Northeast or the Russians? No, I'm talking about the Russians. Oh yeah, no, I I don't understand what they're doing in Kharkiv. If you're if you're trying to get an explanation of why why they're doing what they're doing in Kharkiv, you're not going to get it from me because I have no idea. Like, no, I'm just I'm just following what they're doing. Uh, I'm not trying to get an explanation for it. I just think it doesn't. Their strategy does not make sense. Yep, hundred percent. Nope, doesn't. Nope, they need to. If I was the Russians, I would fix the Ukrainians in Kharkiv. I would, I would, I would at least at a minimum fix them. They're not. And I, I, I don't understand why they're not. And I'm, I'm just like you. I'm just scratching my head to be like, oh, okay, I guess we're, I guess they're doing this whole strategy. Yeah. I mean, again, like you, I'm just sitting here scratching my head being like, uh, and not the, I'm just being like, here, dude, here, hold my beer. I'll show you stupid. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to step out for a bit, and if I got time, I'll join later tonight. If not, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks, Alsoris. Uh, have a good night. Thanks, Alsoris. Keep up good work, everybody. All right, so we got Brian and then IFA. Go ahead, Brian. And whoever wants to ask a question or to contribute in any way, please do request a microphone. It's a button on the bottom left of your screen if you're on if you're on mobile. So please do request a mic if you want to contribute or ask a question. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, not so much a question, Walter. Good to talk to you again, Walter. It's been a little bit here. Um, So, um, you know, I just want to encourage everyone 
that number one, thank, thank everyone for coming to this space um, to uh, hear these stories, to hear the commentary, but really to encourage you to participate to whether it's retweeting to this space, whether it's to donating to Maria Aid as, as it, what is shown in the nest and what Walter has talked about previously, you have an opportunity to really uh, push back against genocide, push back against mass genocide in Europe. And you have the opportunity to do that. You know, and everybody has the opportunity to contribute to this effort. And now it's the time because, I mean, we're talking about really the next two to three weeks are going to be very critical in terms of what this what this situation looks like. And, you know, I would, I would encourage my uh, United States uh, fellow Americans to do is to not be distracted, to not be distracted in court, not be distracted. I mean, these all, are all important issues. Um, you know, uh, th that we have to address in this country. But, you know, I, uh, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop bullshit, Tucker Carlson bullshit, other stuff that's happening in the U.S. Don't be, don't let yourself be distracted and really focus on what this horrific uh, loss of life and forced uh, kidnapping and relocation of Ukrainian citizens uh, to remote areas of Russia, it's just freaking pathetic that this would happen. And um, so I think we just need to stay focused, not not let ourselves be distracted, and really try to help the Ukrainians as much as possible. Uh, this is really united, and in, in ironically, in the, certainly the United States uh, Congress in a way that I've not seen in quite some time, right? And this is a... You know, you look at the, the margins that the Lend-Lease Act passed and the Ukrainian legislation support has passed. You know, these are significant margins. And um, why is that? Why? And that's because this is the right thing to do. And um, so I would encourage you all to um, to stay engaged, not let yourself be distracted. Uh, sometimes, certainly, the U.S. Uh, news media uh, can be fickle and can try and, you know, not really focus on one thing and then focus on the next thing because they assume that your attention span is limited. But um, I think people need to understand that this is what's happening here in, in, uh, in this uh, country is unacceptable. And uh, we need to make sure that we, uh, and, and the Ukrainians will win. And I've, Walter has heard me say this before in this space weeks ago, that I firmly believe that the Ukrainians will win this, this, this uh, invasion. Uh, they will push the Russians back across the border. We need to make sure we make we help them to make this happen. End of rant. Thanks, Brian. Brian, I couldn't agree with you more. God bless you all on what you're doing here. I've learned a great deal. Um, in my world, it's follow the money. In your world, I would think, to, to save the Ukraine, you need to follow the weapons. And it's always been my concern. Um, your news. Uh, I got a question to you. Um, how do you feel about the genocide that Russians perpetrate in Ukraine? What's your stance? Just a short question to you. Go ahead, news. News. You can unmute yourself. It's a small button on the bottom left of your screen where the microphone is. So while news tries to figure out the technical aspect, let's go to IFA. 
Hey, uh, Walter. Just uh, saw something on my timeline about, uh, you know, Russia uh, trying to sell stolen wheat from Ukraine, trying to sell to uh, Egypt. I, I don't know how true this is, if maybe anyone has heard anything about it, and if it's true or not. Well, apparently, yes, Russia tries to sell the wheat that it stole. I'm not sure if it's going to head to Egypt, but whenever, whatever option is available to Russia and Russian invaders, they will try to utilize it. So again, regarding what's happening with the agricultural infrastructure in Ukraine, since I believe the sense, since the first week it's been reported that Russians started to specifically target agricultural equipment and agricultural facilities in Ukraine. It happened in northeast of Ukraine, excuse me, in the east of Ukraine, and it happens now in the south of Ukraine. Specifically, they want to to render the lands. Um, I, I have been reading articles about this uh, in Sorry, yeah, let me just finish up and then you'll have your turn. And uh, overall, Russians have been distance mining Ukrainian fields in order to kind of render those fields um, to be incapable of essentially sowing and harvesting wheat. It's a big deal because it already killed a number of Ukrainian farmers um and destroyed the number of vehicles that they operated even those who tried to essentially to to essentially engage in agriculture activities i'm not sure what they were doing but essentially operating equipment tractors and other tech so it already killed a number of people even in the areas where russians were pushed back and removed from Ukraine. And as I mentioned earlier, they specifically targeted silos, grain silos, uh, agricultural infrastructure, and destroyed equipment. And recently we have seen that where they managed to capture Ukrainian territories and occupy them, they essentially steal of sorts or just uh, move the equipment from Ukraine and uh, transported either to Russia or other Russian-occupied Crimea. This is what we have seen recently, specifically in Kherson, Kherson Oblast. So yes, they are removing grain and stealing grain, stealing agricultural equipment and destroying agricultural equipment where they cannot steal it and uh, trying to exert all levers that they currently have to further exacerbate the situation and uh, create crisis in areas away from Ukraine. In Ukraine, it's straight genocide. So back to you, news. Uh, the question remains, how do you feel about the what Russians perpetrate in Ukraine? And uh, how do you feel about the genocide of Ukrainian people that Russian invaders engaged in? If you are asking me, Trinity, how I feel, I, yeah, pray, I, do. I pray to Jesus for you every day. I don't know if that's right or wrong in, in your world, but it's all I know how to do to help. I 
I have read reports as I'm sorry that I interrupted you. I'm new at this. Um, while you were speaking, uh, it's bad here. I'm a Philly girl. Sorry. I kind of tend to vomit my brain. Um, not far from me. Well, again. <laughs> and, um, uh, okay. uh, yeah, I, I, sorry. I interrupted. Northeast uh, is a uh, bit uh, rough, specifically <laughs> the North and, uh, Fra Frankfurt is, Really rough. Oh yes. Yeah, yes. I've been there since that travel yes. yes, yes, we are close, my dear. Um so how so how about uh let's uh step back I, I a little just, bit and how I because yeah, I, I'm know, trying to, so to you assess know your the, you know the the kind of information that I have to go on. And maybe you read my a little bit about my profile, but I cannot as a Christian, as a human being, ignore what's going on in the Ukraine. Who can? Who can? So I came to you, this, this group, to learn. And the more I learn, the more I pray, and the more I worry. And um, I know maybe sometimes my questions aren't good ones, and I'm sorry about that. But I'm studying as we go along, as you might note. Um, and maybe you can help me. Uh, well, just listening helps. Or maybe you can help me learn, too. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, all the support is uh, highly appreciated. So, um, again, just uh, what's your stance about uh, what's happening in Ukraine, specifically about the genocide that Russians perpetrate? How do you feel about it? How do you feel uh, that the world should respond to that? Okay, you want to vomit your brain from Philly? I'll tell you what kills me is the interview I saw of a 90-year-old woman who was standing in the street dressed in rags who said the Russians came into her home and raped her. And while they were raping her, she said... I'm older than probably your mother, and as more than one raped her, they did not care. And while they were raping her, they had her daughter tied to a chair. I am a survivor. I was 21 years old of a gang rape. And you know what? Ain't nothing right about any of it. Not here not in the Ukraine, especially not what's going on in the Ukraine. But if you want to know what grabbed me, that 90-year-old woman, I'm old enough to be your mother. Animals. There, I vomited my brain. I'm sorry. My name is, this is Trinity, and I'll be quiet now. Yeah, Ranjini, the, the harsh reality is that these episodes are all over Ukraine whenever Russians manage to get a foothold. And uh, it's uh, it's something that often fades into background. And as we follow the events on the front lines, the movements of brigades and battalion tactical groups, we fail to, or we just automatically and uh, forget about what's happening on russian occupied territories and these are these are ukrainian people 
and uh, these are people who inadvertently happen to be on Russian occupied territories and now they are being subjected to all the horrors and atrocities that Russians perpetrate. And what we have seen northwest of Kiev in Bucha, Bucha has been all over the news, right? The problem is that it's not just Bucha, Borodanka, or Hostomil, or other smaller towns northwest of Kiev. It's everywhere. Everywhere in Ukraine, where Russians occupied Ukrainian land and managed to get a foothold and control these territories. It's a myriad different Buchas, smaller ones, probably bigger ones like in Mariupol, where Russians uh, moved in with uh, mobile crematoriums and tried to destroy the evidence of Russian war crimes and Russian genocide. And even stepping back before the invasion started, right before the invasion started on the 24th, I've been thinking about it today. Because again, just seeing the tweets from Ukrainian community. If you recall, there was a specific news piece that Russians prepared 45,000 of body bags prior to the 24th of February, prior to invading Ukraine. At that point, we failed to understand what or whom these body bags are for. At that point, we assumed that the body bags are for for Russian troops, essentially, who will be killed in combat. But if you recall, Russians planned to essentially seize control of Ukraine and capture Ukraine in 72 hours with little casualties or minor casualties. Essentially, what they did plan, they planned all these body bags for Ukrainians. 45,000 at least to be killed, murdered, to decapitate the nation, to kill artists, to kill musicians, to kill leaders of the society, to kill prominent Ukrainians, to kill NGO leaders, to murder all of them like they did in 1920s, like they did in 1930s. They planned the genocide beforehand, and these body bags, 45,000 body bags that we know of, they were for us, for Ukrainians, to begin with. This is what they were coming for. This is what they planned. This is what they still try to do to those unfortunate Ukrainians who ended up on Russian-occupied Ukrainian territories. And it's imperative and crucial that we do, first of all, as Ukrainians, we do everything to push Russians back and liberate the territories because it's not just land for us. It's not land that matters. It's the people who ended up in Russian occupation, people whose lives will be and are at risk who are subject to all the atrocities and horrors, to rape, pillaging, to torture, to being disappeared, to being herded up again, like in 1940s and being deported to the East or Far East, God knows where, or just being murdered with their hands tied behind their backs 
and burned. This is what happens all over Ukraine. And uh, it kind of takes time to for that to sink in again, because they planned it before the invasion started. These 45,000 body bags, they were for us from the very start to decapitate the nation, to turn it into slaves, to harvest human resources, to subjugate and conquer, and to perpetrate genocide. And uh, even though they failed on the grandest scale because of the resistance, because of the Ukraine's armed forces, unfortunately, they, they managed to do it. And they managed to do it whenever they got a foothold in Ukraine be it south, south of Ukraine, be it east of Ukraine or northeast of Ukraine. So, again, we failed at that point of time. We failed to understand what's happening. But now we know that it was long in the planning. And that, that said, we got the just fan joining us. Just fan to you. Go ahead, just, just, just yeah, the floor. Oops. You can unmute yourself. John Fan, Texas. If not, we have here Liberal Ryan, Brian, to you. And uh, whoever wants to contribute, please do request a microphone. Or whoever wants to ask a question, please also press request microphone and uh, we'll be more than glad to address the questions that you have. Go ahead, John. I think you have issues with either your microphone or connection. G-U-N, Fen, Texas. See you're unmuting, unmuting yourself, but uh, we cannot hear you, unfortunately. Just check your connection, check your microphone. Brian, to you. So, uh, Walter, congratulations on having Colonel Binman uh, coming on. It's tomorrow, right? The, that's happening. Um, yep. I, I just want I just want to congratulate uh, you uh, for this sort of growing. So you have a, you have a, a Major Spencer. And you have uh, you had the Ukrainian ambassador to Australia on recently, and then you have Alexander Vindman coming on. I mean, I have to say that's that's awesome, and it's a it's a reflection of the 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 word of mouth that's spreading about this space, right? I mean, before this invasion happened, you know, I'd never heard of uh, you know a lot of the stuff that was that's that's out there, and so to my exposure to Twitter spaces was arguing about New York Giants football and uh, with, uh, you know, uh, that kind of stuff and not being involved in geopolitical sort of conversation from this type of platform. So kudos to you for uh, for uh, cascading this. And also kudos to you for offering an alternative. And I've talked about this, this in the past where, you know, this cable news network really do not have the bandwidth and the... Uh, the focus on to be able to understand the reality of what's happening in the ground. And hopefully all of us that are in this space take this as a lesson 
that this sort of electronic mass media is really insufficient to understand what's happening on the ground. And independent of Ukraine, right? I've had people in, in, even in in the space of this evening have been messaging me about other things that are happening in other other parts of the world that probably had been happening for a while and I didn't know about it. And so uh, to have people from all over the world that are that are coming into this space to learn about this, hopefully it's a uh, a lesson, and hopefully it's a an avenue where people can you know come to a space to learn from each other and uh, not be part of some sort of mass media agenda that's being fed to them. Yep. Well, well said, Brian. Thank you. And uh, back to you, John from Texas. Let's try again. Okay. Can you hear me now? Now we can. Yeah. So, um, you know, part of what echoing your, your comments uh you know that's so difficult about this is those of us who have studied history and are maybe a little bit older and not not that young people don't study history but you know the I'm, it's been talked about i'm sure at nauseum in here but the parallel to what adolf hitler did in terms of serving in world war one while putin was in kgb and having deep resentments about the decline and decay of their post-war post-cold war state you know, coming back here, having a, a bloodlust, you know, against whether it was the Jews or it was with, you know, Russia the whole time, the Bolsheviks and Putin with this thing with, with, you know, with uh, Ukraine and then each of them writing kind of a Hitler wrote a book. You know, this guy's been reading a, a man writing a manifesto and. So my point is, it's just like those of us who see what's happened before, it's like watching a, a train wreck in slow motion or car accident in slow motion. And it's just very painful, I think, because we know the, we don't know it firsthand, but we know the suffering that, that happened and that's happening again. And we just, I'm just, we're just all astonished, you know, that it's actually, this is possible, but this is human nature. It's repeated itself, unfortunately, with evil over thousands of years. And we're seeing it again. Um, my question is this. To the body bags you were talking about in the crematoriums at first, I was very interested. I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. They're just going to hide their dead from their own people. When in reality, then the, the light bulb went off and said, this is for the Ukrainians. You know? But how, how much, can you just tell me or tell us how, how I haven't seen a lot of video of these, these vehicles or any of this kind of thing and, uh, has that been widely seen? I know it's been talked about. So, uh, right now we don't see many videos of those. Uh, there was a significant number of those being exposed essentially and publicized just before the invasion started. They were moving all of these into Belarus specifically. And before the invasion started, if you recall, Prior to the 24th, specifically on the 22nd, 23rd, almost on the eve of the 24th, <clears throat> there were plethora of different videos of Russian equipment, Russian armor being transported in the southern Belarus, close to Ukrainian border. And among those, we have seen on one occasion a number of mobile hospitals, military hospitals, and also crematoriums and refrigerators so these were the videos 
<clears throat> and right now we see incidents, not incidents, but uh, massive scale deployment of these mobile crematoriums to Mariupol. Again, according to witness reports or those who escaped from Mariupol during the initial or middle phase of the siege. Uh, they also brought the evidence about those vehicles operational in Mariupol and Russians trying to to hide the evidence of the war crimes. So that's basically the story. Okay. And lastly, I'll say for Miria Aid, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in my low to mid 50s. And, you know, if I was younger, and under some circumstances, I would be over there. And I, I would love to help at some point going over there. And I don't know, to a small village or somewhere where they may need some help building something or doing anything you can to contribute without being in the way. But I'll just say that, you know, I am very, it's, I'm very proud that you guys are doing your thing. And, that you know i get to financially participate uh not from a point of pride for me or look at hey look at what i'm doing but an honest like hey it's a joy to participate in uh you know uh ejecting these animals from this land you know and uh anyway so thanks for all y'all do and i appreciate the, the time yeah no worries well thank you the first place and thank you for the support it's highly appreciated today we had a fighter from the 93rd ukrainian 93rd mechanized brigade Yar. and the first thing that he said was uh that he's thankful for support and that excuse me that they feel the support and it uh, actually helps with the morale as well significantly the support that is coming not just from the rest of Ukraine as all of Ukrainians try to support the military and to support armed forces but also feeling the support coming from other nations allied nations it also gives a morale boost and uh, again they're thankful for that and thankful for the support and the equipment that is being provided for to them in order for them to efficiently protect their essentially their their homeland their villages their cities their towns their families in the first place and uh, also something that i wanted to address the the phenomena of this um, volunteer movement and i'm talking about not military volunteers those who joined the military as volunteers i'm talking about civilians who volunteer and who start started to um the army was infiltrated with russian assets the army command was completely compromised and when he fled after the revolution of dignity the command structure essentially crumbled. The army was unable to perform. On top of that, the equipment was compromised and has been in the process of being compromised for many years. So this is was this was the situation that this was the state of Ukrainian army that 
in 2014 had to enter the war with the Russian army in the east of Ukraine. And only because of the valiance and the effort of civilian volunteers who started to scramble resources whenever they could, dedicate their time, effort, lives, and money, and uh, passion in order to support the army, to support military, to fill in the shortcomings whenever they could, to procure military radios or just regular radios, to procure, purchase first and assemble first aid kits, to assemble basic necessities, to get um, Ukraine's army kitted and geared up with personal protective equipment, with body armor and helmets. This movement, it stems from early 2014. It stems from organizations like Come Back Alive or Povernizhevim or Save Life in UA, from Army Sauce, SOS, uh, or Help the Front, or many others. Essentially, it was a grassroots movement because the army needed help and support. And as Russia backstabbed us, in 2014, the rest of Ukraine supported Ukraine's military to fight back. Also by volunteering and joining the military and fighting back, but also as a civilian, by basically filling in the needs of logistics, filling in the needs and shortcomings of military equipment and even advanced military equipment, like car batteries, like batteries even for armored vehicles different systems that were lacking so again all of this stems from 2014 and was gradually built upon and functioning step by step unfortunately and unfortunately just because the war dragged on the war never stopped since 2014 we are in the eighth year of war that russia wages upon us specifically the first and the second year, the 2014 and 15 were extremely hard because it was highly maneuverable warfare in the east of Ukraine with the Russian battalion tactical groups attacking Ukrainian army that was not in the best shape at that time. And then it stabilized because it was, according to Minsk agreement, uh, the delineation, the front line was delineated and it became uh, some sort of a mixture of World War One, flash modern warfare because of the trench warfare mixed with high precision advanced artillery, drones, sniper warfare. So again, during this, the time, during those six, seven years, Ukrainian army was being forged in battle. And at the same time, Ukrainian volunteer organizations were forged because they were constantly supporting military again for since 2014 for eight years already and they gained experience and uh, they gained potential they gained um those who were willing to help and now when it happened again when russia started this new offensive from already occupied ukrainian territories in the east and also from belarus and russia and other regions of Russia, uh, Ukraine was at least more or less prepared because we all volunteered in one way or another. We all helped uh, 
in one way or another, or at least overwhelming majority of us helped during these eight years, because essentially we're a supporting army. If we hadn't been doing such, there wouldn't be Ukraine in 2022. So it's like uh, what we are seeing right now with all these organizations and volunteers, it, it stems from that time. And many others are contributing right now, new organizations were formed. And uh, it doesn't matter where support is coming from or which channel it is coming via, as long as it essentially ends in Ukraine and contributes to the overall relief effort, it helps and helps big time. And uh, one of such organizations is Maria Aid. Again, they're in the title of the space. They help with medical supplies to deliver those to the frontline and uh, frontline hospitals. And also they help with um, was already kitted uh, individual first aid kits, something that can be a difference between life and death of a soldier or a civilian after it's, he's being wounded or she is being wounded. So every bit of help uh, matters and makes a difference. And for people on the ground in Ukraine, it makes a big difference. And on top of that, I always urge everyone to spread the word, spread the awareness. Because yes, it, it, it's what, already 60 plus, almost 70 days of this Russian war that our new Russian offensive started on the 24th. And we tend to forget, so we tend to focus on uh, specific areas or brigades or divisions, Russian divisions that were moving in. And it becomes more of a, you know, where the current warfare is happening, near Kharkiv, near Izum, near somewhere else, near Kherson. But people are suffering everywhere. People are suffering big time. Whenever Russians manage to get a foothold, people are suffering from Russian-occupied territories. People are subjected to genocide. And this should not be forgotten. And again, this should be emphasized. And we should spread the word whenever we can and wherever we can about what is happening in Ukraine, about the scale of atrocities that Russians perpetrate and uh, essentially about the genocide that is happening. And that said, uh, Daniel wanted to add something to that and then sleeping under the moon. And we have Gary. Daniel, do you? Good morning, Walter. Can you hear me well? Oh no, I on the street. I begin my day going to work and I uh, meet two big buses. Uh, they drop a lot of women, a lot of children. I guess uh, are your uh, con citizen. I uh, after 70 days. They are still coming, probably from Odessa region. 
uh, about what where, you talk. Where, uh, where, where are you? Galați. Located? Galați, Romania. Romania. Near the border. Uh, about what you talk before, I can tell you something like this. Uh, five, six years ago, uh, I was on my master courses at the university. In history faculty, I studied the Eastern European geopolitics. <laughs> Not uh, about this is uh, I mentioned. It's just a context. My professor, a very smart man, uh, at one point we start to talk about Ukraine, the dignity revolution, the birth of the nation, and. Our seminary was something about, let's look at Ukraine, how it's becoming from a device, very devised society, very 